today on Blue 58. After hitting the buffet of football that is the NFL draft all weekend long, it's time for a little dessert. The backers have signed a dozen undrafted free agents, and it's time to take a few minutes and get to know them. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am very happy to be with you here for one of my favorite episodes of the year. It's always enjoyable to take a few minutes and talk about all the new undrafted free agents in town. But first, a little bit of breaking quarterback news. Two weeks in a row. Can you believe it? Good news. Both times, I suppose. Uh, The Packers have extended Jordan Love. Rather than using the fifth-year option, the deadline for which was Tuesday, today, I guess, as we record it, the Packers just simply extended him. And the terms of the deal say he gets less in guaranteed money, just $13.5 million from reports, but he gets that money now rather than next year when the fifth-year option would have kicked in. And he splits the cap impact over two years. Basically, the Packers are saying we'll have a little less space now to have more space in 2024. It gives them a chance to earn a little bit of guaranteed money now, saying, hey, look, a gesture of good faith on our part. We're making you the guy. We're giving you a little extra money right now. And next year, if everything goes well, he's probably not going to be playing on the fifth year of that deal anyway, where the Packers are probably going to look to extend him sooner rather than later so you don't end up in a lame duck situation, as most teams seem to like to do with their young quarterbacks. It still makes the contract situation a little bit tricky, but this makes it a little bit less tricky. You don't have to to weigh out the the pros and cons of the guaranteed fifth year. And if things really go south, well, he's counting that much less against the cap anyway. And you can really start to do some interesting things next year if things really, really don't turn out how Love or the Packers want them to. But really, I think we kind of just need to resist the urge to look into it all that deeply. I don't know if this is really a big vote of confidence one way or another or saying they don't trust him or or what have you. I think it's just a little bit of cat maneuvering, a gesture need not be a big thing. And I I don't really think it is. And and so the Packers just make the move here that saves them from a little bit of cap impact next year. I think that is, that's probably about the sum total of what's going on here. What is going on in addition to that is the Packers bringing aboard a dozen undrafted free agents. Undrafted free agency is always a fun time of year for me for a couple of reasons. First, on top of just a whole bunch of guys that we got to see throughout draft weekend joining the Packers, we just get a whole bunch more, and we get them all at once, and you get to see just a giant list of names and, and figure out if any of these guys are players or not. But secondly, it's it's an opportunity for me to do a little bit of deep diving into guys that you may not think about all that much. But I think you should, and let me make a little bit of a case to you. Listeners of Blue 58 aside... I don't think any of you would say this, but I do occasionally hear Packers fans when a guy's name pops up in training camp say stuff like, who is that or what? Or he's just a guy. He doesn't matter anyway. And I would just like to push back on that a little bit. And I think this is a way to do that. I think if you have any real interest in, you know, how rosters are put together and who gets where and tracking guys around the league, this is a vital time of the year for you. Because these are a lot of guys that are going to end up bouncing around the league a lot. And they may not be here for a long time. But I think as fans, we have a little bit of an obligation to just put in a little bit of time and get to know these guys. And it's not like this is a hard thing to do. The information's all out there. You know all these guys' names. You know where they went to college. It's just between you and Google uh, what you're going to end up learning about them. And it shouldn't take you all that long to really track down the information. I mean, shoot, I can figure out how to do it. And I can pass that information along to you. But I think 
if we're going to sit down and evaluate these guys, how they're going to, you know, fit within the team and, you know, what, what they ended up doing with their careers, things like that, we owe it at least a little bit to them to sit down and just take a look and, and try to learn where they're about, where they came from and how they got here. So a lot of what we talk about in this podcast is going to kind of fit into those categories. Who are these guys? Where do they come from? What do we really need to know? And, you know, where do they fit in with this Packers team? Sure. But just appreciating these guys are going to be playing a sport for our entertainment, just seeing a little bit of what they're about and where they came from. So let's dive into the class. We'll go in alphabetical order by last name, give you a few thoughts about each of them, and then at the end we'll talk about who may may have a chance to really make this year's roster. Spoiler alert, it looks like it's probably going to be pretty tough. So first man up by last name, Keyshawn Banks, an edge rusher out of San Diego State. Uh, Mr. Banks is on the smaller side, maybe a little bit shorter, six foot three, 251 pounds, a relative athletic score of just 2.09. He was Dane Brugler's 56th ranked edge rusher this year, a long-term player at SDSU. Career production ratio of 0.95 appeared in a whopping 59 games for the Aztecs over his time there. Played almost exclusively on the right side in 2022 we talked about a lot of guys throughout the draft that moved all over. Lucas Van Ness played at just about every spot you can imagine. Banks is the opposite of that. He almost exclusively played either right defensive tackle or stand-up edge rusher on the right side. Usually I like to talk a little bit about who a guy reminds me of, but Banks doesn't make me doesn't remind me of anybody really other than making me feel old because he reminds me that there are guys young enough. I don't know if this is the case for him, but there are guys young enough in the NFL to have been named for Keyshawn Johnson. And it's just another reminder as we have guys who are juniors and stuff like that, that there are, I remember a lot of NFL football. I'm starting to remember more and more. And the amount says a certain thing about me, which is that I'm getting older, which is not always a nice thing to confront about yourself, but so it goes. Brenton Cox Jr., another edge rusher out of Florida, is our next man up here too. He's a little bit of an odd case because he is Dane Brugler's 39th ranked edge rusher, and we are going to lean pretty heavily on Dane Brugler's beast uh, for this piece because he goes deep on a lot of different guys. A lot of these guys are even a little bit off the radar for Mr. Brugler, though. Cox is not one such player, though. As a top 40 edge rusher, he got some pretty significant attention. He is six foot three, just about six foot four, 250 pounds, a relative athletic score of 6.33. Some good numbers, some bad numbers. What you should take note of with him, though, is his elite 10-yard split. Not quite as good as a Lucas Van Ness, but 1.62 in the first 10 yards is nothing to, to really sneeze at. Cox has the distinction of getting dismissed from two big-time college programs. He was sort of dismissed at Georgia. He transferred out, which you can interpret a number of ways. Uh, But for all intents and purposes, it seems pretty clear that he was told that you were not going to be welcome here any longer. We're inviting you to do the right thing here and see yourself out of town. And he was also dismissed from Florida. And I've heard a few people kind of scoff at that a little bit, saying, what do you have to do to get yourself kicked out of Florida? What indeed? Uh, They have had no shortage of unusual things go on at their program that they seem to be willing to put up with over the past few years. But, you know, he, he ran afoul. And if you read Dane Brugler's work, it seems like he may just be a little bit much to, to be around. Uh, the thing that an anonymous source said to him was that he just kind of wears you out, tires you out with his antics, just a lot to put up with. 
There have been some other unsubstantiated reports from various media people that you can go track down about what he may or may not have done. I don't want to dive into unsubstantiated or unsourced things, so we're not going to, to do that. But there's plenty of smoke out there if you want to track down some of the backstory on Brenton Cox. He is, however, when he's on the field, a pretty good player. And you see why he was a top five recruit in the state of Georgia coming out of high school. He just cracks one in career production ratio, considering that he moved around so much and, and was in and out of programs. That, I think, is pretty good. 34 career tackles for loss and 15 and a half sacks in 46 career games. Pretty solid. Not spectacular, but about as good, I think, as you could hope for for an undrafted player. He reminds me of Ron Cox. Now, I didn't look to see if he's related at all. I would suspect that he probably isn't. But I always love three-letter last names. It looks great and weird on player jerseys. So I love having another uh, guy with a, a name that falls into that category in in camp for this year. Continuing down our list, Chuck Filiaga out of Minnesota, a big, big guard, joins the Packers. And he is noteworthy right off the bat because he is an offensive lineman. Between undrafted free agency and the draft, the Packers have added just two linemen in this draft cycle, which I think is a little bit unusual. It's definitely not what I expected. Um, I, I would have thought at least one guy got drafted. I predicted as much, but the board kind of wasn't necessarily kind of the Packers in that respect. And you're not just going to take one to take one. Uh, but you do get Chuck Filiaga out of Minnesota coming to camp, and I think he's a pretty interesting prospect. Six five and a half, three hundred twenty one pounds, but moves pretty well. So seven eight nine relative athletic score, but doesn't come from the forty yard dash. Five three four in the 40, 40 for Mr. Filiaga. 24 reps on the bench, though. Not great, but still pretty good. And an elite three-cone time. He was Dane Brugler's 36th-ranked guard, which is pretty good. Not outstanding, but pretty good. He spent five seasons at Michigan, then finished out at Minnesota, was a spot starter for Michigan, playing both left and right guard, was originally a tackle recruit. So if you want to watch the the tackle-to-guard pipeline, it is still active in Green Bay, even dating all the way back to guys' high school years. He reminds me, makes me think a little bit of Ben Braden. I remember him from a couple years back, the early Lafleur era. Was even thought of as a potential left tackle starter with uh, David Bakhtiari out early in the 2021 season. Not Braden was not even quite as big as Filiaga is, but uh, another big-bodied guy who has some interior flexibility, probably should be a guard. Uh, but maybe with the size, the Packers might take a look elsewhere. But I, I would think that he is probably going to stay on the inside, and they just get another big body to work with on an offensive line that is seemingly more and more focused on getting big guys up front. Malik Heath is our next man out of Mississippi, a wide receiver. Uh, Heath has some pretty good but not great size, not just like enormously tall, 6'2", 213 pounds though. Uh, Not an overwhelming athlete, just a 6'5'8 relative athletic score and ran a 4'6'4 40-yard dash. However, Heath was a pretty, pretty solid player. Finished out his career leading Mississippi in receiving yards, even ahead of Jonathan Mingo, who we thought of as a pretty um, interesting prospect in the draft. Took a long road to get this point. Uh, Two years at Copia Lincoln Community College, then two years at Mississippi State, where he started 10 games there in 2020, then, of course, finished out his career at Mississippi. Seems like a pretty solid prospect here. Obviously not an overwhelming athlete, uh, but offers a lot in terms of productivity. 
some pretty good size. And if the Packers continue to want to do a lot of the run blocking based stuff with their receivers, you'd think a guy who's 213 pounds could probably bring you a little bit of that. And of course, his name makes me think of the underrated candy bar, the Heath bar. Maybe he'll surprise you like the Heath bar does from kind of, from time to time. That was always a, it ended up being a tradition for us growing up. We always got a score bar or a Heath bar in our stockings at Christmas time growing up. So whenever I hear that name, that's what I think of. Uh, Jason Lewin, out of defense, uh, a defensive lineman out of Illinois State, is next on our list. Lewin, a big, tall guy, 6'6", 292 pounds, 8'5", relative athletic score, moves pretty well for his height. Not overly fast, though, 5'07 in the 40, but elite on both jumping tests, uh, in particular a, a vertical leap of 31 inches, has some explosion, again, can move pretty well. He was Dane Brugler's 109th ranked defensive lineman, and again, pretty good athlete overall. If you're looking at defensive line comps, Tyler Lancaster might not be a bad one. I think Lancaster got a bit of a bad rap for just being kind of the immovable object type player who ended up being fairly movable at times late in his his Packers tenure, but he was a pretty good athlete coming out of Northwestern, and Lewin or Luan might be in that kind of same mold, a, a big, strong athlete. And with the Packers being as thin as they are up front, you never know. You never know what could happen. Unfortunately, doesn't seem to offer that much in terms of pass rush. Does not have much in the way of counting stats and looking at pro football focuses, pressure numbers over the balance of his career. He has a career pressure rate of just 6.6%, which is well below generally what we look for uh, for defensive linemen. But still, we're in undrafted free agency here, so you got to adjust your expectations accordingly. He does remind me of somebody in that Lancaster or maybe Jack Heflin mold. Strong, maybe a little bit on the smaller side in some aspects, though he is plenty tall. Maybe some pastorish juice, but not much. But if he gets in the right situation, you never know. Maybe he steals a roster spot from somebody. And there are roster spots, I would have to think, up for grabs on the defensive line, considering how few proven performers the Packers have up front. Cameron McDonald, a tight end out of Florida State, comes to us next. McDonald is... Tall but relatively thin. 6'4, 237 pounds, a 252 relative athletic score after he ran a very poor 499 40 yard dash. No elite numbers across the board, no agility numbers in his testing, so pretty much all we've got is his height, weight, and 40 yard dash. He was tight end number 45 in the Beast this year and really didn't do much statistically at Florida State. Uh, 74 catches for 841 yards and five touchdowns over 58 career games. However, he did prove to be a pretty good teammate, winning uh, by vote of his teammates the Crenshaw Award at Florida State. What, do you ask, is the Crenshaw Award? Well, according to Wikipedia at least, the award is given in the memory of Robert E. Crenshaw, who played Florida State Seminoles football from 1952 to 1955. The 175-pound offensive lineman was the captain of the team in 1954 and a student leader. He was killed in a jet crash in 1958, and the plaque's inscription reads, To the football player with the biggest heart. The recipient is chosen by his teammates as the man who best exemplifies the qualities that made Bob Crenshaw an outstanding football player and person. So there you go, a little human interest uh, aspect to the Cameron McDonald story. He does, however, remind me, of a kid's song, because 58 games at Florida State means you've been there a while, and that, unfortunately, Cameron, makes you Old McDonald.
Christian Morgan, a safety out of Baylor, comes to us next. Morgan, a, a pretty good physical prospect here. Six feet tall, uh, nearly six foot and a half, 200 pounds, 867 relative athletic score. One of the few high test athletes at the safety position in this entire draft. Runs just a 4-5-140, but compared to the rest of the guys on the undrafted free agent list, that's pretty darn good. He's got a 40-inch vertical leap, 10-11 broad jump, bad agility numbers. If you're putting those numbers together in your head, you're probably coming to the correct conclusion. He's going to be a special teamer. Safety number 37 uh, on Dane Brugler's big board. Really, there's not a lot to say there other than the physical profile. He reminds me of another guy who kind of was a tweener safety, and that's what Morgan is. Played a lot in the box, a lot on the slot. I don't know if you remember another undrafted free agent from a few years back, but Marwin Evans, kind of the same sort of mold there. Thickly built athlete, going to play special teams, might be a spot starter as a nickel, uh, or you know might play spot reps as a nickel if he gets to the 53-man roster. And in a normal year, I would say a guy with an 8.67 relative athletic score who could, can contribute on special teams, Play in the box, play nickel stuff would be one to watch, but the Packers have a billion safeties right now. So maybe if a couple of people get hurt, and maybe they do, you never know how those things shake out. He's got a chance, but he's a little bit behind the eight ball right now. Henry Pearson, a fullback out of Appalachian State, comes to us next. Uh, Pearson, pretty big for a fullback, 6'2", 249 pounds. Uh, maybe not you know overly tall, but big and heavy. 4.51 relative athletic score, 4.840 yard dash. Uh, Pearson was a tight end in college and was the 61st ranked tight end in the Beast. Amazing that he is straight up announced as a fullback. The Packers have another fullback like guy on the roster in Josiah DeQuara, but they say, no, you are a tight end. They don't do that with Pearson. They just say, buddy, you are a fullback. And by default, Henry Pearson is at the top of the Packers fullback depth chart. Undrafted free agent. A college man at this point last week is now the technically starting fullback on the Green Bay Packers by virtue of the fact that he is the only one. Now, maybe they say, well, actually, DeGuara is going to start at fullback and, you know, you start to do technicalities and stuff like that. But DeGuara technically isn't a fullback. He's a tight end. And Pearson is the one and only fullback on the Packers roster. Take it for what it's worth, but he was actually a pretty well-graded run blocker in college. He was a four-year starter after redshirting his first year at uh, at Appalachian State. Appalachian State. Uh, and I know we've talked about blocking grades not being that big of a concern or even really a point of interest, but I think it is noteworthy that he had a run blocking grade of 65 or higher in three of the four years in which he started, including one year where he grade out, graded out at an 80.9. He, he blocked well for whatever college blocking is worth. He makes me think a little bit of a guy like Corey Hall. If we really go back to, I think it was like 2009 he was drafted, 2008. Just another, you know, smaller school guy. He was at a Boise State who changed positions to be an NFL fullback. If you want to go maybe more one-to-one position-wise, maybe uh, Spencer, Spencer Havner, uh, who really was the quasi-tight end fullback although he switched from linebacker to fullback like like Hall did as well. Now we're really down a rabbit hole. Uh, Packers fans who haven't been following for as long are going to be going, what are you talking about? But this is undrafted free agency. This is the sort of stuff that you got to talk about. Uh, maybe he's got a shot. You never know. I think it, it is interesting that the Packers are officially listing fullbacks on their roster now, considering that they have played fullback-like guys over the past couple of years but really haven't had um, – 
haven't had an official fullback. I think John Lovett, the uh, the Princeton guy, was the last one, and he was 2019 or 2020. Really, since Deguara has arrived, they haven't really had the um, had an official fullback. You've had Deguara, you've had Dominique Daphne, but really nobody, you know, wearing a number in the 40s and playing an, an official fullback type role. Interesting, interesting change there from the Packers. Jimmy Phillips out of uh, SMU is up next, a linebacker. Jimmy Phillips Jr., actually. 3-4-4 relative athletic score, 6'1", 232 pounds, 4-6-8, 40-yard dash. No elite numbers really in his testing at all. He was linebacker number 37, according to Dane Brugler. He tied SMU's record with 59 career games played. There's a bunch of guys on this list who are pandemic football players and end up playing a ton of games in their college careers. And as they play longer and longer college seasons, I think we're going to see more guys even post-pandemic that start to get up in those in the 40s and 50s in terms of career games played. And shoot, if you're making money playing college football with NAL deals now and you, you just like the vibes playing on campus, go for it. Might as well. College is a fun place to be or can be a fun place to be. Uh, you might as well enjoy it while you're there and make some money playing football. Good for you. A potential service academy career uh, for Jimmy Phillips. You talk about alternate paths his life could have gone down. He got college scholarship offers from Army and Air Force, ends up at Southern Methodist University instead. This is, to me, the new Chris Barnes. I'm not, going, I'm not saying that he's going to be as good as Barnes was or, or play for the Packers as much as Barnes did, but he is a longtime college player, just always there, always showing up, a little bit on the smaller side, and hopefully is going to bring that approach to the NFL as well. Good luck to Chris Barnes, the Iron Bruin, wherever he is today, by the way. Benny Sapp III out of Northern Iowa. A safety is our next man on the list. Uh, Sapp is not a great athlete overall. 4-4 in the uh, 4-4 relative athletic score, not 40. 4-6-2 in the 40. 5-11, 200 pounds. 20 reps on the bench. That is his most noteworthy testing numbers. Dane Brugler, 72nd ranked safety in this year's class. I thought this name was familiar. Turns out his dad was a fairly longtime NFL player. He played with the Kansas City Chiefs, Minnesota Vikings, and Miami Dolphins from 2004 to 2011. And I'm sure I'm recognizing that name because I played with him in Madden at some point. That just had to have happened there which makes me you know, just remember back to playing Madden as a kid and getting to like the 47th round doing the fantasy draft. I always like doing that in franchise mode. You just say, we're going to throw all of the NFL players into a pot and make up our rosters kind of as we go. I always enjoyed that. And you got to know a lot of NFL names doing that. And Benny Sapp, I would guess somewhere just in the back of the, the recesses of the mind was stuck somewhere in there. I'm bearing the lead on Sapp here because you're not going to believe this. He was primarily a deep safety. We've talked about like, feels like 50 safeties at this point, and almost all of them are slot players, guys who play in the box. There are very few players in this class who played primarily deep safety in college, but Sapp is one such player. More than 500 snaps as a free safety in 2022. If nothing else, the Packers have found a guy who at least did it before. Not saying that he's going to do it at an NFL level or that one of the other safeties they've got can't do it because they haven't done it before. But if nothing else, Sapp has played deep safety before. And the Packers, after 13 draft picks and a week of courting undrafted free agents, have added at least one new guy who can do that this spring. 
Round of applause. Kadeem Telfort out of UAB is next up on our list. A massive, massive offensive tackle. How massive? How about 6'7", nearly 6'7 and a half, 322 pounds, a relative athletic score of 1.59, ran the 40 in a glacial 5.45 seconds. However, he is very tall. He started his career at Florida, was dismissed from the program as part of their credit card scandal, played a couple years at a couple different community colleges, including Garden City Community College, then transferred to UAB, and graduated from college last summer. We'll read you a, a statement, not a statement, a, a bit from uh, an excellent piece uh, I found on Kadeem Telford about what it was like to graduate from college here in a second. But I think that is a good reason to do this kind of thing. That's kind of the reason I said what I did at the toward the beginning of this episode, why we should take a second and get to, to know some of these guys. Because there are a lot of star players in this draft class, in, in every draft class. That guys that get drafted in the first, second round, by the end of the month, they're going to be millionaires or, or very close to it, you know, depending on how their contracts break down and things like that. I think you understand what I'm, I mean. They're going to be wealthy men. The, the same is not true for practice squad players, though they, you know, if you make it onto the practice squad, you're not in bad shape financially. But a lot of these guys are just on the fringes of hanging around in the NFL. They're not making tons of money relative to what other players playing in the NFL are, are making. This is their one shot to make you know, money in the – get even a taste of NFL salary type stuff. And Telford, he comes from a family who probably did without quite a bit because looking into his story – Kadeem Telford has nine sisters. He has one older sister and eight younger sisters. He is one of ten children. And when asked what it meant to him to graduate from UAB with a general studies degree, he said this, quote, it means a lot because I'm the first to graduate high school in my family and I'm the first to graduate college. I have one older sister, eight little sisters. Just me graduating high school did a lot for my little sisters and me graduating makes them want to go to college. Now they have something to look forward to, end quote. It's a lot of maturity from a 23-year-old kid. And I hope that he is an inspiration to his family because it takes a lot of work. You know, you have to have a lot of built-in athleticism to make it to the NFL, but you're not just going to get there on that alone, especially if you've got to go to a couple years of community college, then fight it out at UAB to get on the field and then, you know, do what you got to do to make it through those years in college, and now you get a chance in the NFL. What does he end up being for the Packers? I don't know, but shoot, he's got as good a chance as anybody. Tackles that big don't grow on trees, and the Packers have shown over the past couple of years they like big tackles. Caleb Jones made a similar sort of journey last year. The competition is just going to be you know, that much more intense among those big tackles the Packers have among their backup group. We'll finish off with Deuce Watts, a wide receiver, wide receiver out of Tulane. Watts is 6 feet 1 inches tall, 196 pounds, a relative athletic score of 7 on the dot. 4.5940 yard dash, elite jumper, 37 and a half inch vertical. That's really the sum total of his athleticism. He's primarily an outside receiver. He was Dane Brugler's 82nd ranked receiver in this year's class. Played 50 or fewer snaps in the slot each of his last three seasons at Tulane, so primarily, again, an outside guy. He says he signed with Tulane in part because of the food in New Orleans, and I think that's as good of a nugget to end on as any as far as our undrafted free agents go. Now, who among these guys really has a shot? 
like I said at the start, this, I think, is a tougher year than most to make it for an undrafted free agent guy. For one thing, just looking at the seventh round pick, the Packers have had, what, seven, eight guys they've picked in the second or in the seventh round over the past couple of years. That is soaking up a lot of the roster juice that a, a lot of undrafted free agent guys would be trying to get for themselves just by virtue of the fact that those guys are draft picks. They cost the Packers more to release. They have a little bit of pedigree built in saying we, we drafted this guy in the seventh round. It's hard to overcome stuff like that. On top of that, on the heavy body positions like offensive line in the secondary, cornerback or safety, the Packers have a lot of bodies there already. I would argue, even on the case of the offensive line, they're not all good bodies. They're not all guys that should really be getting roster preference over anybody else. But the fact of the matter is there are a lot of them there. And it's just human nature to weight the guys who are familiar a little bit differently than the guys who aren't. You just are going to give a little bit of extra preferential treatment to those guys that you've invested in a little bit more. And that makes it harder for the newcomer to unseat them. It's hard to unseat the incumbent. That said, there is still some wiggle room, I think, on the offensive line and in the secondary. The Packers did bring back 13 offensive linemen. That's true. But not all 13 of those guys are going to be NFL 53-man roster caliber guys. There may be some winnable roster spots in you know, like roster spots seven, eight, nine on the offensive line or in the secondary if you keep four or five corners. And well, last year they rostered six safeties, so just call it an even 10, 11 defensive backs. It's spots nine through 11 there that could be up for grabs and should be up for grabs. You shouldn't just give a roster spot to a guy who was there last year. So looking at that, I would I would have to say it's probably Filiaga and Telfort and probably Christian Morgan that I would say of these of these guys have the best shots at making the roster. The next guy beyond that would probably be Jason Lewan, the the defensive lineman. And from then, from that point on, somebody's really going to have to show out, really do something unexpected, really flash something that we we may not have on the roster. And just looking at the numbers right now, it's really hard to say who that might be. But I wouldn't rule anybody out at this point just because we think the roster is settled and we're going to do a roster prediction here later in the week after a bit of a surprise for you coming out on Thursday, hopefully, if everything goes according to the plan, taping on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to have a bit of an extra podcast in the feed this week, not some you know wild and crazy guest, but somebody I think you're going to enjoy hearing from. Uh, we are going to do a roster prediction and I think we'll see a lot more of the potential spots for things being a little bit more up in the air when we talk through that. But as of right now, roster competition, I think, is going to be pretty tough. And it's probably going to be a little bit harder this year and next year uh, for undrafted free agents to make the Packers roster. It can still happen. And there are still going to be guys that end up on the practice squad and and things like that. And it's good to to pay attention to these names for those reasons. But in terms of just making it to the 53 right out of camp, it's going to be some tough sledding this year is because of the sheer number of young bodies the Packers have in camp. And, you know, things can always change, but right now it looks like it's going to be fairly tough.
That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in the conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.